Everybody doing okay? Awesome. Welcome to a Salty Week 2. We're going to get into a little recap from last week and then hopefully dive into the, a couple more components of really the, the symbolism of salt in Scripture and our relationship with God today. How, how many of you are, uh, are, are sweets people? Where are, my, where are my dessert people at? Love some desserts. I, I, I don't love desserts. I, I'm not a healthy eater. I just, I'm more of a, of a salty person. Any, any salty people in the room? Not, not salty in your spirit, just salty that you like salty things. You know, sweets people, uh, Eddie and I always disagree because Pastor A loves some sweets. Like he, I've never made my love sweets more. Well, one time, I have permission to tell this story. We were talking backstage. One time, when we got through Thanksgiving, and, and I said, Pastor A, how was your Thanksgiving? He said, Pastor, I ate four pies. I, I said, four slices of pie? That's a lot of pie. He goes, no, Pastor, I need to repent. I ate four pies. It's too many. Everybody say too many. Too many. Gluttony is sin, Pastor Eddie. We're going to have a prayer team down front. I'm a big appetizer guy. Like, I love to go to a restaurant. They're like, would you like something to start with? That answer is obviously yes. And in fact, if you ever say no before I say yes, that will be our last dinner that we ever share together. I do not understand why we came here to wait 35 more minutes. They gave us an option to have food now. We came here to eat. Why would we not enjoy? I'm gonna have two or three appetizers. Sometimes I have so many appetizers, I don't even wanna eat when the main course comes. Then you take it home, and then you got two meals. Some of y'all, I'm gonna help you today. This is not in the sermon. This is just practical life advice. Some of y'all don't get appetizers because you're like, I can't afford it. What I'm telling you is go to a place where you can afford appetizers. Even it's McDonald's. Go get you some chicken McNuggets. Go have a seat. Go back and get you a quarter pounder. Come back and have a seat. Go get you a McFlurry. Come back. It's a three-course meal, and I guarantee you'll have more fun in McDonald's with multiple courses with appetizers than you will go into a steakhouse, have a petite sirloin and a side salad and a water. That's not fun. And if that's your version of fun, you're not fun. Just kidding, but seriously. Love salty things, love sour things. We're talking about the components of, of salt and the, the symbolism of salt because our, our theme verse for this series is Matthew 5 where Jesus tells his disciples, he tells us as Christ followers that, that we are salt. He says, you are salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a, a lamp is placed on its stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise, they'll praise your heavenly Father. Last week, we talked about what it looks like for us to live as, as Christ followers, and we talked about this component of, of salt in the, the Bible and we looked at ancient times, in a lot of societies, salt was traded ounce for ounce with gold. It was such a, a valuable commodity that was traded for, for gold. And we correlated that to us being called salt and then reminded some and, and revealed to others that you are valuable. You're called the salt of the earth, that you have value, that you were created in the image of God, and God put something on the inside of you. The Bible says that he had something for you to do, and then he created you to do it. And we are salt of the earth. We are valuable. We talked about sometimes we don't, we don't have enough salt in our life. When you ever had a dish that's a little too bland, it's just, it doesn't have enough 
taste. You really can't tell the, the difference. And too many of us as Christians are a little too bland. We're a little too much like the world and not enough like the Bible calls us to live. There's not enough salt. What I'm saying is nobody outside of the church or outside of Christianity, if people who didn't know Jesus saw your life, they wouldn't even know there's a difference. You're not salty enough, and we talked about some of you, maybe even worse, you're too salty. You ever had something that's too salty? Mmm. Ugh. That's what it, mm, that's what it's like to be around you. You're just, mm. Oh, just too much. Just too much. Too heavenly minded for any earthly good. You know what I mean? Like you're just, oh, Gosh, weird Christian, too much Christian, hyper-Christian, self-righteous Christian, too much salt. We talked about being the right balance, that we're not the main course, we're an additive. That Jesus, the life, death, the resurrection of Jesus, this gospel that we live, this gospel that we preach is the, the main course, and we're, we're called to be salt, we're called to be an additive, we're called to be light, we're not the focal point, we're just the filter, we're just showing people what we've learned and what we've received. Salt and light, we talked about that salt preserves last week. And we're called to be preserved. We're called to be set apart. We're called to live a different life. And so we're called to be salt. We're called to be set apart. But we're also called to enhance. That our life should, should make a difference. Remember I asked the question last week in, in your surroundings, in your settings, in your friendships, in your workplace, in your family, when you come into the situation, does it get better? Do you enhance it or do you pull away from it? We're called to be salt and we're called to be light. Today, I wanna to dive into a couple more components of salt. And this week, we're gonna look at salt in, in our friendships, salt in our, our relationships with others, uh, salt in, in our relationship with God, what that looks like, and then some of the binding covenant components of, of salt. Salt and friendship is, is very, very important. According to ancient and biblical customs, Judaism, a, a bond of friendship was formed through the eating of a proper meal together. A proper meal has appetizers, by the way. That is not the King James Version. That's the Justin Daly Version. You're welcome. You're welcome. A bond of friendship was formed through the eating of a proper meal together. It was table fellowship, an Arab expression. There is, there is salt between us. There is salt between us. He has eaten of the salt I own, which means a hospitality or a cemented friendship. It was said that if you had eaten a, 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 the salt a man possessed, that you were their friend for life. They are sworn to protect one another, even if they were previously enemies. That, that's why the religious leaders, by the way, had such a hard time with Jesus eating. And they said he's going to the homes of sinners. He's sharing a meal with sinners. It wasn't that he was just uh, being friends with them. It wasn't just that he was around them. It's that he was literally going to a table covenant. He was saying, hey, no, I value the relationship more than, than what religious people think. And he's going to the table of his enemies. You're saying God has enemies? Well, Kind of, we are made in the image of God, but we are not friends with God until we surrender our life with Jesus. We are actually in a sinful nature, directly opposed to everything that God is for. But there's a moment, there's a relationship, there's a covenant, there's a connection, and a lot of times it had to do around the table or around salt. And in some cultures, when people make a promise, they, they throw salt over their shoulders. And this is not like Dumb and Dumber. And if you don't get that reference, I don't think we can be friends. Lloyd, you spilled the salt. If you don't know Lloyd, Harry, and Seabass, I just don't know this is the church for you. There's, not a, there's a lot of people that don't know that movie. It's critically acclaimed, Academy Award winners. 
great acting, great dialogue, great writing. I think it won like best director or something, I don't know. It's a terrible movie, but it's hilarious. And we can't be friends if you don't quote it. In some cultures, when people make a promise, they throw, it over their, throw salt over their shoulders. It's the thing that binds us together. Check this out, we know salt does not change. When you cook with salt, but evaporate the water off the dish that was seasoned with salt, you end up with salt crystals. It's a chemical compound, salt cannot change. Salt seals a bargain instead of just giving your word because of how endurable the quality of salt is. That's why salt symbolizes lasting friendships and relationships, a bond between people, a bond between one another. Mark chapter nine says this, for everyone, for everyone will be tested with fire. For everyone will be tested with fire. Kind of goes against some of the prosperity gospel. You give your life to Jesus and everything is good. You're just gonna be blessed and wealthy and healthy for the rest of your life. That's just, that sounds fun. I, I would love to be a part of that, but it's just not biblical. It's just not in there. If that was the case, then why did all the apostles give their lives for the cause of Christ? Like, Everyone will go through fire. I didn't get claps either service. Like, oh, amen, thank you. I'm so encouraged. No, it's, it's true. There's gonna be grief. There's gonna be loss. There's gonna be betrayal. There's gonna be hurt feelings. There's gonna be fires. For everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salt again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves, your relationships, and live in peace with each other. See, salt is considered unchanging and indestructible by fire. We will go through things in our life, trials, but if we are the salt that we're called to be, check this out, we'll come out the other side not destroyed, but refined. Not only were our salt be tested in the fire, we're called to be salt, when other people are walking through fires in their own life. Salt to help preserve or enhance our friends who are going through the fire. Salt in our friendships, not just to add spice to our lives, it's to support others, preserve others, help others. Have you found that oftentimes loyalty and trust is built in the fires of life, not in the triumphs of life? I found that the fires reveal who your real friends are. It's not hard to be somebody's friend on a podium with a trophy. It's not hard to be somebody's friend ordering appetizers at a five-star steakhouse and they're paying the bill. I'll be your friend. I don't even know you. It's not hard to, to be, be a friend when you're on a winning streak or when it's popular or when it's, when it's easy. True friends are found in the fires. And salt's not destroyed in the fire, it's refined in the fire. And so in our own life, we need to know that we're gonna come out the other side. If we've given our, our life to Jesus and we are the salt and light of the earth, that's who we're made up to be, that the fires are not gonna destroy us, they're gonna refine us, that the fires are not gonna kill us, they're only gonna make us stronger. But you need to find some people in your life that when the fires come, they don't run from the fire, they run to the fire. You don't need, you don't need people that flee the fire, you need some firefighters in your life. So they say, you're going through something? Well, I'm not scared of it, because I know 
know that I am more than a conqueror. I know that I cannot be destroyed. I know that I am salt, and the fires may come, but they will not destroy. They will refine. And you need some friends like that. Pastor Tyler and I were talking just this week on on the podcast that we've launched. It's called Say It Different, and I'm not promoting it because we don't get any money from it. We're just continuing some conversations that we're having here, but we talked about some of our personal journeys of hardship and the people that were there to encourage. Yes, first and foremost, our, our relationship, our, our salt covenant with, with God that connects us that we'll talk about is the most important, and you have to have a relationship with God, but you need people. You need salty people in your life to help you through hardships. You need people to tell you what's true when you don't believe what's true. You need to need people to tell you what they see when you can no longer see the next steps to take. You need people that run to the fire that you're in and not from it. And practically speaking, if you don't have that, you need it. And you can't systemize relationships, but we do have some opportunities if you need people in your life. You need some salty people in your life with our small groups that just launched and our teams. And it's an opportunity for you to find somebody to say, hey, I need some help or I need some encouragement or I need some accountability. Whatever it is, it's it's a place because we need these relationships in our life. We need for there to be some salt between us and a few people to make sure that we are the best version of ourselves and that we're representing who we're following and what we believe. Salt connects us one to another in scripture. It also has a a binding component to our relationship with God. In Judaism, salt is a representation of God's unending love for his, his people. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 136 says, his faithful love endures forever. We see salt in grain offerings in the, in the Old Testament. See, we had offerings of animal sacrifice to atone for sins, but there was also grain offerings in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament revolved around a system of sacrificial offerings, mitigated by priests to atone for the sins of humanity. It was a means of grace for which who, we who unintentionally sinned might make it right or reparations for that sin without paying for our sin with our own life, there would be a sacrifice, there would be a substitute. See, a holy God cannot be with an unholy group of people. A payment is needed or a repayment is needed for that relationship to exist. This system in the Old Testament was an outward expression of a person or a community of people, their desire to restore the broken relationship that their mistakes had made between them and God. Sacrifices and offerings in the Old Testament symbolize giving thanks to God and were intended to, to mend the relationship between God and his people. We, we see this grain offering, one of the offerings in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 2, verse 3 and 13. You're right, we're preaching Leviticus 2, verse 3 and 13. I told you my wife is a Bible nerd, and so we're right here in Leviticus I don't have ever preached Leviticus before. This may be the first time in 10 years Leviticus is being read. We believe in Leviticus. I stopped most one-year Bibles in Leviticus. Anybody else? You ever gotten Leviticus and be like, oh, no, I'm done. Start over next year. Where's the New Testament? We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. Track with me, track with me. Leviticus 2, verse 3 and 13. It's a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering will be considered a most holy part of these special gifts presented to the Lord. Season, check this out, season, all of your grain offerings with salt to remind you, to remind you of God's eternal covenant. How many of you know God doesn't need to be reminded of his promises? 
God doesn't need reminded of, of who he is, but this salt was placed in the grain offering to remind God's people of, of the internal covenant they'd made that was put there when the fire came, when everything was, it was still there. It was a grain offering. There was something that would be left over. The covenant would be reminded. Never forget to add salt to your grain offering. God wants every sacrifice to be a reminder of his desired relationship with us as his people. Salt was referred to as a binding commitment or even a, a covenant, if you will. I want to talk about that we serve a, a covenant God, a God that enters into agreements with people, contracts with people, but it's so much more than that. It's binding. It's a relationship between, between two partners making a binding promise to each other for a common goal, a common outcome, often accompanied by oaths and signings or ceremonies or sacrifices. God is a, a covenant God. And I wanna walk through five covenants, four just briefly, and then land on the last one that I think is the most important to transition us from what the Old Testament takes us to where the New Testament fulfills. Where salt no longer becomes the, the binding agent, it becomes who we're supposed to be, and there's a transition coming. We see the five covenant moments in the Old Testament. The first one is the covenant between God and creation, with Adam and Eve in the garden. We see God's covenant with Noah, of his unconditional love and promise, to, accompanied with the sign of the rainbow of I'm never going to destroy the earth this way again. We see God's covenant with Abraham progressively throughout the book of Genesis, promising him to be the father of many nations, a huge blessing on his family. What's crazy about the Abrahamic covenant is this, that Abraham was promised to be the father of many nations, but he had no kids. God was promising him something that in his current reality didn't make any sense. There are covenants, there are promises, there are things that God has said to you in your devotion, that he said to you in times of worship, that he said to you in the reading of his word, that when you look at your current life, just don't make any sense. And I'm here to tell you today that the promises of God may not always make sense to our natural eye. That's why we don't build our life and our faith and our foundation on the circumstances we see around us. We Build it on what God says. And I promise you, if God has given you a promise and it lines up with his word, his promises, his answer to those promises are yes and amen. And just because you don't see it doesn't mean it won't happen. If he said it, it doesn't matter what I see, I will continue to walk it out in faith until it comes to fruition, that our God is a covenant God and he's never broken a promise and I promise you he won't start with your situation. We see the Mosaic Covenant, when God instructed Israel to obey all the laws given at Mount Sinai, promising to bring blessings if they follow his commands and curses if they ignored him. But now, now we see another covenant that, that involves salt. It's the fifth covenant that we're gonna talk about. It's the Davidic Covenant. It's the covenant in which God made with King David even before he was anointed as king. Second Samuel chapter seven, we see the importance of of our covenant God here, 2 Samuel 7, verses eight through 16. Now go on and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have destroyed all of your enemies before your eyes. 
Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them, as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings, for when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And if he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod, like any father would do. We're not gonna get into parenting today, but that's just very interesting. I'm just gonna let that one sit. But my father will not be taken from, his, uh, from him as I took it from Saul, but my favor will not be, or his father, because God is a father and he's unchanging. So both of those are theologically correct in my poor reading. It's a lot of reading for an uneducated kid from Alabama, so I'm so sorry. I got stuck in Leviticus again, you know what I mean? <laughs> but my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house, your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. We see this as no ordinary covenant from God because it was a salt covenant. We see this in, in Second Chronicles that this, this covenant was, was, was bound by this, this symbolism of, of salt. Second Chronicles 3 says King Abijah, king of Judah, is fighting against King Jeroboam. Jeroboam and all of Israel, listen to me. Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt? That it was bound together so your ideas, your strategies, your ideas to separate or overthrow are not, not gonna work because this, is, this was not a, a man-made thing. This was a, a God-made thing. This was a covenant between God and a man. Yet Jeroboam, son of Naboth, an official of Solomon, Son of David rebelled against his master. Some worthless scoundrels gathered around him and opposed Rehoboam, son of Solomon, when he was young and indecisive and not strong enough to resist them. And now you plan to resist the kingdom of the Lord. So when we resist things that God has put in place, we're not just resisting people, we're resisting God, which is in the hands of David's descendants. We, we see this covenant as an agreement, as a, a binding thing between God and his people, but there's a transition coming, and before we get there, I wanna make sure we understand who we are in this story. Have you, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you read the stories of Abraham and the stories of Noah and the stories of Moses, and you take that on the next couple hundred years and you see the people of Israel. Has anybody ever looked at the people of Israel and thought, you're not very smart? You know, like, God gives them a promise, like he delivers them from Egypt and they get to the Red Sea and they're like, I think we should go back. Like they're 430 years of slavery, like one, one obstacle and we're like, nah, God, I don't think God said that we should go. I think we should go back. You ever noticed that we are Israel? Like you ever thought like Israel's a bunch of fools? Well, if Israel's fools, then we're idiots because God would deliver them and they would try and return to their captivity. He would bless them and they would take credit for it. They would be rewarded for obeying him and then in that same breath, in that same season, they would take the, the blessings and then misuse them. And we see them come close to God and run from God over 
and over again. We see this nation in need of of redemption, and they just keep messing it up. So God sees that, hey, I gotta, I gotta change the plan. I, I, I gotta do something different. This, this old covenant needs to be replaced by this new covenant and not doing away with it, but fulfilling it. There's a, there's a, there's a better way. And he begins to raise up these generations of prophets. We have Isaiah and Jeremiah and the the minor prophets, not because they were less important, but shorter books. We see all these prophecies of the end times, but there begins, begins to be this common theme, especially in Jeremiah and Isaiah, about this new idea, this, this new plan, this new sacrifice. And we see this covenant God beginning to change the, the, the covenant, the, the integral part of what binds us to him. We see this in Jeremiah 31, verse, or 31, verse 31 through 33. The day is coming, says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. So God's love never changed for us, but he's realizing that there's, there's something that we as humans, we just keep making the same mistakes and that we're just, we're just, not, gonna, we're just not gonna get it from the garden until the cross, like we're just never gonna get this sin thing, these mistakes things right, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After these days, or those days, says the Lord, I will put my instructions deep within them, no longer on tablets, but written on the hearts of men and women. I will be their God, and they will be my people. It's a, it's a new covenant. This covenant is not bound by salt, it's bound by blood. This covenant is no longer an external thing in which we do it's an internal thing in which we receive. Luke 22 says this, then he, Jesus, took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces, gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement not confirmed with salt, but confirmed with blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. See, salt in the Old Testament was used to bind us to covenant. In the new covenant, Jesus' blood is what binds us in relationship with God. It doesn't bind us anymore, it's, it, it's who we're called to be. Bound in relationship to God through the sacrifice and blood of Jesus and then bound to the call that he has for us to live that out every single day. We're called to be salt and to light. We're called to reach and we're called to connect. This covenant changed, church. Jesus fulfilled it, this covenant is not one of law but one of grace, not one that's just external, but now it can be internal. Not just a contract, but a covenant. What used to be transactional can now be transformational. What used to be centered around religion is now centered around a relationship. It's a new covenant between God and his people. 
my fear, really my apprehension for the last 10 years is that we would we would settle being the people of Israel. That we, when we receive, when we receive all that we need, we get stagnant. We get selfish. That's why I think this salt and light example is so brilliant by Jesus because it, it gives us simple reminders and symbols of who we're supposed to be in the grand scheme of what I'm saying is it's important that, that we receive everything, but then we actually live out the purpose of salt and light. Let me, let me demonstrate. There's, there's two bodies of water, main bodies of water that we see in the region where Jesus did ministry in Israel. We have the, the Sea of Galilee and we have the Dead Sea. The tribe of Judah boundaries were around the Dead Sea and the Jordan River empties into the Dead Sea. So, so life empties into it, but it, it doesn't go anywhere. The Dead Sea has the highest concentration of dissolved salt of any body of water in the world. 34% more salt, which is 10 times saltier than the ocean. No life forms, no plants, no living creatures can survive in its waters. And because of the high salt concentration, it actually smells of sulfur, it smells of gas. You can smell it from miles away. Life comes into it. Fresh water comes into it, but nothing ever leaves, so it's dead. The highest salt concentration of any body of water on earth, and nothing can live there which shows me that we can be the saltiest of Christians. You are salt, I've got it, God, but if we're not giving any of that salt away, nothing can live in us and nothing can live around us. We've missed the whole point that when we receive the goodness of God and we receive the grace of God and we receive the mercy of God that is meant to be given away, I've received the life from the Jordan River. I've received his nutrients. I've received his love and his forgiveness, his redemption, but if it stops with me, I'm no longer who I'm called to be. A salt shaker not poured out is no good. A light hidden under a bowl makes no sense. It defeats the whole purpose. You can't let it stop with you. You are meant to be a river in which God gives you things and then it runs from you to other people. Too many of us have settled to be retention ponds and we know what that is in Florida. Just waste. Just stagnant. Nobody enjoys it. Nobody's around it. Nobody swims in it. Serves really no purpose but just to collect. Just stay. Never saw a retention pond. I was like, I'm going to go have some fun in there. No, I'm going to die if I get in that thing. But it's it started with rain or it started with a river or it started with something of, that had life. But when it sat in stagnation so long, it's no longer producing life and too many of us maybe what's where the, the the sea of galilee but for whatever reason we kind of shored up our life and we got rid of all of the outflows and we got rid of all of the connections and we're like well i got enough for me and and for mine i got enough money and i got enough faith and i got enough eternal security and it just stops here and i'm here to tell you you missed the whole point God, your light was so bright 
how you loved the Lord and you used to serve and you used to give and now for whatever reason you just put it under a bowl. Your life, as far as what it produces, is just as dark as somebody who doesn't know Jesus. You got all the ingredients to be an additive to this, this life, this, this table fellowship of life that we have together. You got all, you got all of it kind of bottled up and jarred up, but you just got to let God use it. This covenant was meant to be received, but it was also meant to be be shared because that salt not only binds us to God and we receive the even better version of Jesus fulfilling it through his life, his death, and his resurrection, but this call to be salt of the earth is meant for us to, to care about our neighbor and our coworker and our family member in such a way that we take what we've received and we give it away. Are we going to be the Sea of Galilee or which we receive and we still give and we have life, or are we going to be the Dead Sea in which life, love, grace, and mercy of God stop with us? Let that never be said of us, that we are salt, the appropriate amount, we are preserved, we are set apart, we are righteous, and then we spend our life enhancing, making this place better, not for us, not for our credit, but for the glory of God. Inspire our heads at every location, every head bowed, every eye closed. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for meeting us here today. Church, every head bowed and every eye closed. I, I want to jump back about five, seven, ten minutes in the sermon. I want to talk about this new covenant between God and his people. The gospel that we read there was Jesus' last supper with his disciples. He's talking about his body being broken. It was symbolism, but it was really foreshadowing prophetic of what he was going to do on the cross just a few days later. His body broken. And what that means is his body was broken so you don't have to be. There's an exchange that happened there. His blood was shed so that you no longer have to pay for your sins. The offerings, the, the sacrifice in the Old Testament were now over because there was a perfect sacrifice, a perfect substitute that entered the scene. How was he able to do that? We know theologically it was a perfect sacrifice. So Jesus lived a perfect life without sin. He left his throne in heaven, the second part of the Trinity, the perfect son of God lived perfectly because you could not. He qualified himself to die in your place as that sacrifice. His death on the cross qualifies you, not because you earned it, because there's an exchange that happened where we took his righteousness and he took our sin. His resurrection from that grave, the, the empty tomb, represents the power of God. The death has lost its sting. The sin has lost its grip on people because Jesus Christ defeated sin and the grave. Romans 10 gives us our part. How do, we, how do we receive this gift of salvation? How do we enter into this new covenant? If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we can and will be saved. What does that look like? What does that mean? Confessing him as Lord means that you're giving him control. It's not just an emotional experience. This is not a church thing. It's not a religious thing. This is literally life or death, eternity with God or apart from God. And how do you enter that relationship? You surrender. You say, no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. I submit my ways, my opinion, my will 
and I allow him to lead my life. That is the prerequisite. Jesus Christ is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. So he is in control. And if you want to place him on the throne of your life today, in control of your life today, enter into that covenant, having brokenness turned to healing, having sin and shame being turned into a new future because you are following Jesus. I'd love to pray for you across all of our locations. Some of you for the first time ever, others of you today is a, a restart or recommitment. Either way, you're making Jesus the Lord of your life today. I want to be salt and light, Pastor, but before I give something away, before I represent it, I have to receive it. And so I want to give you the opportunity to receive it right now. If that's you, across all of our locations, I'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to be included in that prayer, would you raise your hand right where you are and say, I, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. He's in first place. I am following him. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Three or four over here. Got one in the middle. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Got you in the back. Yep. Yes. Yes. So proud of you. Honored to share this moment with you. Got a couple more in the back. Let's come on, Sanford and Oviedo. Action online. You can put your hands down. If you raised your hand, pray this in your, your hearts. I pray it out loud. Say this. Say, God, I love you. Hey, God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I'm saved only by your grace. And today I am confessing with my mouth and I'm believing in my heart that you, Jesus, are Lord. And God, I give you that place, complete control. Jesus, have your way in my life. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. And God, I pray for all of us. God, I pray that we would be salt and light. It would be salt in our friendships. It would be light in the world around us. God, that we would pursue everything that you have for us freely Give it to us. I pray that we would open ourselves up and receive your grace, your mercy, your power, the plans you have for us. And then I pray, God, that we would not store it up for ourselves, but that we would give it away. We would release it and let the life you've given us be life to other people as well. God, we love you. We praise you in all these rooms. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. And amen. Can we celebrate all the decisions that were just made? So proud of you.